You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. suffering doesn't lead us to repentance at the cross, it's of no lasting good. And unless our repentance is evidence of a holy desire to turn from our sin and not just escape the pain, then it's no more than remorse. It's not true repentance. This is what was happening with Israel. They hadn't truly repented. They were just glad that the oppression was over. Sometimes God needs to break into our lives and correct something we're doing wrong. It isn't because He doesn't love us. In fact, it's because He loves us. Pastor Dave shares today that God's chastisement is meant to bring us back to Him, correcting our course and reminding us of our need for a Savior. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Judges chapter 6 with part 1 of his message, Mighty Men of Valor. the book of Judges. So if you've turned into your Bibles there, we're going to look at chapter six. We've been studying the book of Judges now for quite some time. As we come now to chapter six, we're reminded that the theme of the book of Judges, at least the theme that I've picked up, is ordinary people who are called by God, who are empowered by God, can accomplish extraordinary things as they make themselves available to God and allow the Holy Spirit to work through them. Believe that this is what the book of Judges is all about, because each one of these judges made themselves available to God. When the Lord called upon them to do a certain task, though they might have wavered, though they might have been a little less than faithful at times, they did open up their hearts to receive what the Lord wanted to do in their hearts. They received the Holy Spirit as God gave it out, and they worked mightily. And this becomes a challenge from me, and I believe from the Scripture to you, to be available. To be available to what God would have you do. To be available what the Lord is calling you to do in your life. Whether it be in the midst of our fellowship, there's all kinds of service opportunities in our fellowship, or outside these four walls or whatever the Lord might have you do, to be available to Him. And no matter how dark the day, no matter how difficult the time that you may be going through, God can still work through those things if you are placing your trust and your hope in Him and in His Word. If you're yielding to the Holy Spirit and if you step out in faith, God can still use you mightily. We see that in our scriptures, in Judges. Ordinary people. And you're going to find that our buddy Gideon is one of the most ordinary in the entire book of Judges. In fact, as we study this book, we're going to find out that of all the Judges, his lack of faith 
is pronounced more than any other judge. So I think we can really relate to this person. But in the first five chapters, we've been through several judges. We've been through Othniel. We've been through Ehud, our buddy Shamgar, and lastly, Deborah. We've been through those four judges. And although they had had their weaknesses, as we've said, God used them in spite of themselves because they made themselves available to him and they trusted in him. She chose a man by the name of Barak. And through Deborah, Barak, and the army of Israel, and the most unlikely person, a woman by the name of Jael, they broke the yoke of bondage that was placed on them by Jabin, the king of the Canaanites. The last thing we read in chapter 5 is that the land rested for 40 years. You see that at the end of chapter 5. So the land had rest for 40 years. Once again, Israel is at peace. Once again, there's tranquility. Once again, there's prosperity. Once again, Israel was following the Lord for 40 years. But as is the cycle of judges that we talked about. The cycle began again, and it started all over again when somehow Israel lost their peace, turned into complacency, and the nation fell into disobedience and had to be disciplined. Remember, we said that the four D's of the book of Judges was disobedience, discipline, despair, and deliverance. They were the four D's of the book of Judges. So as we begin in verse 1, we read, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. One of the things I find interesting is that Midian always seemed to be a friend of Israel. It was Midian where Moses ended up. Moses ended up in Midian and was there for 40 years. Married Jethro's daughter. And there seemed to be a good relationship there. So it must have gone south somehow. But God's discipline now, they obedient, is that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And once again, I'll remind you that everything we do is in the sight of the Lord. When you do good, it's in the sight of the Lord. And when you do evil, it is in the sight of the Lord. For we have a God who is all-knowing and all-seeing, all-powerful and ever-present. So he had to discipline them. The second part, first D, is disobedience. They disobeyed God. And usually when Israel falls into disobedience, when it says they did evil in the sight of the Lord, it usually means that they fall into idolatry. It usually means that they start making altars to all these other gods, and we're going to find out that one of the gods that they make an altar to is Baal. And they make an altar to these gods, and they start serving other gods. Well, you don't have to be too much of a biblical scholar to know that this is directly and strictly against God's commandments. There shall have no other gods before me. Don't bow down or make any graven images. But Israel seems to do this. So Israel is 
disciplined, the second D, they are delivered into the hands of the Midianites. But this is actually an example of God's grace and mercy. It's actually an example of God's grace and mercy because the Lord knew that if he delivered them into the hands of the Midianites, if he put oppression upon them, they would turn back to him. See, we try to fool God, but he's a pretty smart guy. And when we try to get one over him, he knows what he's doing. And sometimes we forsake the Lord and we turn towards wickedness. And the Lord gives us the desires of our heart, knowing that it's going to drive us batty and send us to our knees. And we're going to yell, Lord, get us out of here. And he never, ever says, well, Dave, that's what you wanted. You really wanted that thing and you went hard after it. So I let you have it. No, he never says that. But this is a great example of God's mercy. Imagine. Just imagine. If he would let us go. Imagine if he didn't corner us, if he didn't discipline us, if he didn't do the kinds of things that would draw us back to him. We know from Proverbs 3 and Hebrews 12 that God chastens those he loves as a son, as a father that chastens a son. Some of you out there are daddies. Some of you out there are parents and have had to discipline your children. When they did wrong. This is the example. We discipline our children because we love them. Because we want them to follow a certain path and go the right way. That's what God does for us. In Hebrews 12 verses 5 through 11. In Proverbs 3 verses 11 and 12. It talks about this very thing. How wonderful a father we have. I have chapter 3. Verses 11 and 12. It says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. And way back in Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, in verses 5 through 11, it's a little bit more entailed here, but they use the same scripture. Beginning in verse 5 in chapter 12, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, We have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chasten us as seemed the best for them. But he, the Lord, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So God deals with us. He chastens us as he chastens his sons. Sometimes we think we're getting away with something, but make no mistake about it. The Lord, our God, is not a permissive parent. He is a good, good father. Chastening is evidence of God's hatred towards sin and the love that he has for his people. 
God doing with us? What's God doing in us? Scripture says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are being conformed into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is God's ultimate purpose for us. To be like Jesus so he best can give us a holy character. This is done by our yielding to the Holy Spirit. Our obedience to him through his word builds our character, but when sin creeps into our lives, it destroys our character. And God can't sit idly by as one of his children tries to destroy himself. He must act. Personally, I thank him for his chastening. Oh yeah, the scripture we read is real painful sometimes. Especially when it comes down, he gives me a thump. Wow, it hurts sometimes. His chastening hurts. But I thank him that he loves me so much that he would try to keep me on the right path. It assures me that I am truly his child. And that he loves me. And it also assures me that I can't get away with rebellion, even though I try sometimes. I can't get away with it. Israel had experienced many years of suffering under the harsh rule of Jabin. Remember Jabin, the oppressor. But they hadn't learned their lesson. Forty years. Forty years of peace, prosperity, and tranquility. Of peace. They didn't learn. See, Why? Unless our suffering leads to repentance, and unless our suffering leads us to the cross, it accomplishes nothing. If our suffering doesn't lead us to repentance at the cross, it's of no lasting good. And unless our repentance is evidence of a holy desire to turn from our sin and not just escape the pain then it's no more than remorse. It's not true repentance. This is what was happening with Israel. They hadn't truly repented. They were just glad that the oppression was over. They hadn't truly repented. So if we look at verses 1 through 5 now, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel. Neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. For seven years now, the Midianites would come down at harvest time, and they would rob the Israelites of their harvest. So much so that they had to go hide in caves. And they couldn't even enjoy their own land. They had to hide in caves. For seven years, God allowed this continue. Now, if you're a numerologist, you know that seven is God's perfect number. And as the end of the seven years, he's going to do something about it. But the Midianites would swoop down upon the nation. They would steal their crops, even their livestock, leaving nothing, no sustenance for them. They would come in like locusts, leave nothing behind, you know. As a person who grew up watching tons of movies, 
tons of cowboy movies. As I was reading this, I couldn't help but thinking of the Magnificent Seven. It's the same story. A little small town in Mexico that Culvera and his 40 thieves would come in during harvest time and they would take all the food and then hightail it off. And so the men got together the town, they took a little money and they went out and they got seven guys to come in to take care of Culvera. Hence the story, Magnificent Seven. I digress. (laughs) You can tell where my mind goes sometimes, I'm sorry. But this is what's happening here. Every harvest time, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and whomever wants to come down for the pickings, they come down and they take everything that Israel has sown, everything that they've got for the harvest, leaving nothing behind, no sustenance at all. They come in like locusts. And if you've ever seen the pictures of when locusts come into an area, man, they leave it absolutely bare, absolutely nothing left. It's a horrid sight after the locusts have come in, horrible. So that's the picture that's being painted here. Why would God allow this? God certainly allowed it to come in there. Well, he allowed it because of the sin of Israel. Because they were doing evil. And he wanted to chastise them to bring them back to him. He wanted to drive Israel to their knees so that they would cry out to him. He wanted to bring them into humiliation. Before they turned back to God, they had to be humbled. God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. He gives grace to those who humble themselves. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you. He will lift you up. You know, many times we're caught in a sin and we will not repent of it. And God allows humiliation to come into our life. He allows humiliation to come into our lives. Why? So that we'll turn back to him and ask for true forgiveness. This is exactly what happened with the nation here. Look what happened in verse 6. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. God's plan worked. At least he has them now crying out to him. At least they've turned back and they said, Lord, help us. They're crying out to the Lord. They had this seven long years, this season of humiliation, of fruitless labor, of poverty, of dominion by an oppressive power. They finally cried out to the Lord. It appears that praying was their last resort instead of their first resource. I quibble a lot about people on the Titanic say, we have to pray, and somebody says, has it come to that? Why wait until the boat's sinking? Why wait until your life is in a turmoil, until your life is turned upside down? Why wait before we pray? But for some reason, things have to get really, really bad in our lives before we decide to say, you know what? I need to pray. Instead of that being our first response. Instead of that being our first response, we have to pray. But sometimes the Lord has to corner us. The Lord has to get us into a corner and humble us so that we will cry out. The Lord knows our stubborn heart. The Lord knows the rebellion that we're in. Oh, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Oh, the Lord knows it. And he knows just what he needs to do to each one of you and me to get us to that point where we're going to cry out, Uncle, Father, we cry out to the Lord, help. We would continue to walk with him and serve with him and not do evil in his sight. We would never be in these precarious situations in the first place. 
But that's another story. Israel cries out to God in despair, and that's the third part of the cycle, remember? Disobedience, discipline, despair. They're in despair. Oh, the Lord can help us. The Lord has to help us in this. So they cry out to the Lord. An interesting thing happens here. He sends them a prophet. He sends them a prophet. Now, this is early on in the nation as far as the historian comes along. But you know from reading scriptures, Israel doesn't have great faith in prophets. They never seem to do real well with prophets, having killed them all, basically. But God sends to Israel a prophet. Let's look at 7 through 10. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you. And drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. Wow. Prophets there. God sends this unknown prophet. The prophet is not named. We have no idea who the prophet is. We can't even surmise who he might be. But the prophet comes and he says, prepare, a deliverer is going to come. Isn't it interesting that the Lord always sends a prophet before the deliverer? John the Baptist, voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make way, make ready the path of the Lord. All the prophets before were crying out for the deliverer that would come. Here, look. The Lord sent this prophet. God spoke through the prophet and he reminds them of their past. Why does he remind them of their past? Because he wants them to realize how faithful he has been and what he's done for them in the past. When we're in the midst of trouble, when we're in current crisis mode, I think it's paramount that we remember God's faithfulness. I think it's paramount that we remember what God has done in the past and how much faithfulness he's been in our lives. And we look at him. This will help us during our time of crisis. It'll help us. But he reminds them of God's love. The loving God who delivered them from Egypt. And now he's able to deliver them from the Midianites. He reminded them of God's power. The powerful God who took them out of Egypt. Who snatched them from Egypt. And he is powerful to deliver them from the Midianites. Oh, when you're going through a trial... When you're going through an affliction, when you're going through suffering, even times of things that we've brought on ourselves, we need to know of God's faithfulness. We need to remember that God is ever faithful. We need to go back and see in Joshua where it says not one of God's promises has ever failed. We need to know that God is ever faithful. You are As our time is coming to a close for the day, you don't have to stop studying God's Word. Feel free to read ahead in the book of Judges and find more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. All of Pastor Dave's messages are available to download for free. You can even subscribe to our podcast on iTunes to have updated messages sent right to your computer or phone. 
Find links at our website. Again, that's assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to pray for you as you journey through this life with Jesus. So please let us know how we can do that. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. We're so blessed to be able to share God's Word with you with each new edition of Assure Hope. But we want to encourage you to find a local church to attend regularly as well. Being a part of a body of Christ gives you a place to learn and grow with other imperfect people while providing an outlet for your unique God-given gifts. If you're in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you come by Calvary Chapel, Cape May. Beginning April 12th, we are moving to two services on Sundays, one at 8.30 a.m. and another at 10.30 a.m. Come join us for worship and Bible study, and we do have childcare available. For more information and to get directions, visit assurehoperadio.com. That's assurehoperadio.com. And that brings us to the end of our program for today. Thanks for tuning in to this verse-by-verse study in Judges. And join us again right here on Assure Hope.